right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. This is the third Champions Tour podcast in a row. Uh, we knocked out all three of these when we were out at the Charles Schwab Championship. Uh, shout out to Stuart Moore from the PGA Tour, from uh, the Champions Tour. Helped set us up with these guys. Knew exactly who we needed to talk to. And one of these guys was Billy Andrade. Um, very familiar name for those of you that have followed golf for a long time. Very lengthy career playing golf. Took a few years off, um, kind of in his late 40s, did some media work, and came back and has had a lot of success out on the PGA Tour Champions. Great guy to talk to, great perspective on a ton of different things in the game, uh, a lot of celebrity run-ins he's had, so really great stories from from Billy. A little different energy pro- level than probably the uh, Goidos and Sutherland one, but a great mix of guys between them, him, uh, Monty, and those other guys. It was a great, great week out there. Before we do launch it here, for a limited time, you can still get two dozen ChromeSoft or ChromeSoft X golf balls for just 70 bucks plus free personalization. That's a gr- If you can't tell, this is going to make for a great Christmas gift. The ChromeSoft combines tour-proven distance and performance with exceptional feel, driven by the new groundbreaking graphene-infused dual soft fast core. So either you can either get these for yourself to stock up for the coming year or go ahead and knock out the uh, gift for the golfer on your list this season. CallawayGolf.com for more information. Take advantage of it while it lasts because uh, the new year is going to turn here and this offer is going to go away. So CallawayGolf.com for more information. And here's our interview with Billy Andrade. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast here at the uh, Charles Schwab Championship here on the PGA Tour Champions. Solly here, joined by Neil and Tron, and we have uh, Billy Andrade here. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're doing great. We get to talk golf with... Uh, with Talking golf with you guys is the best. You guys got all the stories, and you guys don't have the filter. You don't have the uh, the. Uh, the first thing I want to ask is, where did the MLB sponsorship come from? How did how did that start? And the so, logo is enormous. Yeah. So back in the um, the day of the tour championship, having a pro am, which they don't really have one anymore, they always needed a few extra guys to play because Tiger would win eight and VJ would win six, and you would need a few extra players. So I, I played for a few years in the Wednesday pro am. Got paired with uh, Bob Bowman, who launched uh, MLB.com. And um, with my affiliation with EMC, which is now Dell Technologies, they were doing some uh, cross-promotion, doing some work with MLB.com, with EMC. Bob went out to the Pebble Beach Invitational as an invite from EMC, which was the sponsor of the tournament. And we had dinner, and he just looked at me and just said, uh, I was getting ready to turn 50, and said, uh, how much for your hat? And um, I threw him a number, and he said, "All right, done, three-year deal." And then <laughs> so you I was, throw him a big enough number. I guess I didn't. <laughs> How'd you feel I, in the, exactly the moment he said yes? Uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was excited because uh, you know, coming out on the Champions Tour, you don't have like my agent said to me. One of the manufacturers is, is giving you an, an offer to head to toe, which is you know, hat, shoe, ball, glove clubs bag and it was 30 grand and it was like uh you know 
when I, in 1988, when I signed my first deal with Titleist, it was it was a little more than that. <laughs> yeah. So I said, you know what? Um, thanks, but what I'm going to do is just just see if I can do this on my own. So wow. I got a hat deal, I got a bag deal, um, I got sponsor deal. Does that come through few. like pro am relationships mainly? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just um, you know you're you're your own brand, right? You're, mm-hmm. you, I mean, you're working for yourself here. You're an independent contractor and you know you want to do some some nice things so um you know the the hat deal with mlb came up that way and how did did you see the equipment money like dry up just over the years is that something that people can kind of sense coming because that's that's basically the story from all the way up on the pga tour these days right um i can't really answer to the young guys what they're getting but um obviously that whole landscape changed you know we weren't you know when i first started in 88 nobody was really getting paid a lot to use equipment and then it got then it changed uh, i remember duvall coming out of college getting a big titleist deal davis love got a, a big deal there for uh, with titleist there for uh, i don't know a long time now that's changing again so it's going back the other way so uh, if you can get four or five different companies to, to represent you and, and you can add all that up, then it adds up pretty, pretty well to, to have that on the side. Now go out and play and see how well you can do. And, and, I, and I'm with companies that are great. You know, Skechers is great. CVS Health is great. Um, MLB is great. Worldwide Technologies is my bag sponsor. They're fantastic. Oh, that's uh, a lot of free ads we're giving. So, we're giving, yeah. so we're giving uh, companies here. So yeah. it's, 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 I have to talk it's, to Tron about Skechers. I don't know. And Dell Technologies <laughs> has been, uh, you know, it was EMC, and then uh, Dell bought out EMC. And so Dell Technologies has been fantastic. I've been with them over over 25 years now. So it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Well, I, I, I tried to, to tap into Faxon's Faxon's. Uh, database of stories about you Uh-oh. but uh Uh-oh. he didn't give me he didn't give me too much stuff but he, he wanted me to ask he's like you have to ask him about the first time he met joe pesci oh yeah sure sure that that's a good one um that was uh, back in 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 uh, 1991 i won back to back i had a great year i got invited to the shark shootout out at sherwood and um it was pretty cool for me it was my fourth year on tour and i got paired my, my partner was was curtis strange who went to Wake Forest, and you know I idolized as a kid growing up, and and to play with him was was uh, you know, you know the, the quote dream come true kind of thing. But uh, we had a great week, and on Sunday, my wife and I were at the hotel. Uh, we played early because uh, West Coast we had to be done by three o'clock, so we teed off early. We we're done at one, and we we're taking a red eye. We we're going to go back to my buddy's house and have spaghetti dinner, and he was coming to the hotel and the the red light in the the room on the on the phone because we had no cell phones back yeah. then the red light was was blinking so i had a message and the message was from my friend that hey i'm coming to pick you up which i knew and i'm bringing joe pesci with me and i'm like well that's kind of odd this is right when goodfellas just hit the hit it <laughs> yeah. and, and they were pesci was pretty hot um home alone was coming out too what so, was gonna say yeah uh, it was hairy uh, i mean yeah so um Smash your face that was a seminal role. So I, I got to go to the bathroom before we're leaving. My, we're packed up, getting ready to leave the hotel, and so I'm in the bathroom, and 
my buddy shows up and says, "Hey, you know, you, you ready?" I go, "No, I'm I'm in the bathroom. I'll be right out." And then the door gets kicked in. There's Joe Pesci standing there smoking a cigar. He kicked your door in. Yeah, and said, well, "Let's go. We got to get going." You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> looking at him like sitting on the John here, you know, going to the bathroom. So it was uh, my intro to him. And then I got in his car and we were driving over to to my buddy's house and uh, down the road. And he said, "Hey, do you mind if I?" That was when you had phones in the cars yeah yeah. you mind if i call one of my buddies back in jersey he won't believe that i got you in the car with me so we called his buddy talked to him jr talked to him for a while and then i kind of looked at him and said can i call one of my friends you know just (laughs) because they they won't believe i'm in the car with you so that's kind of how it started and uh then we became very close and played at pebble beach a few times and um he's come to rhode island and played in our charity event that fax and i had for years so how did your buddy Link up with Pesci. Well, they're members at Lakeside Golf Club over in uh, Burbank, okay, um, near Universal Studios. It's a great course, and um, so they any time that day, and they were playing. Yeah, they yeah. just he, uh, Pesci was a member there, and he, he would always tell me, "Hey, Pesci's out here." I said, "Well, I'd love to play golf with him eventually." You know, yeah. so uh, that connection started with him bringing him out to Sherwood to, to watch the tournament. It just happened they showed up a little late. Yeah. Are you like Faxon? Like, do you know every every celebrity ever? Pretty much. <laughs> Uh, what's his deal he knows like absolutely everyone brad yeah yeah um yeah it's just uh <laughs> through golf you you know you get to meet all these folks and some guys you connect with and some guys you don't kingpin and kingpin was uh was a fairly brothers production and and my caddy ziggy grew up with the fairly brothers and he's he uh, ziggy used to caddy for dr fairly all the time at, at kirkbreg country club in lincoln rhode island and um so they all, they're all from cumberland so I got to meet, I knew Bobby and Peter through, you know, through Ziggy and then uh, through Cam Neely as well. Cause Cam, I was with Cam after a uh, LA Open when the Bruins came in town to play the Kings. Um, I was in the room at um, Peter's um, condo down in Santa Monica where Seabass had to do his, um, you know, he had to do his, <laughs> To see if he was good enough to do do this role, so I, you know, boilermakers. So yes, yeah, so, to the kitchen. Yeah, right here, salt shaker, the whole bit. I was I was part of the that that process <laughs> of him getting that role with Bobby with Peter and, and Bobby for um, uh, for Dumb and Dumber, and it started there, and our relationship started there, and then they started playing in our charity event, and um, you know, my brother Jack's been in six uh, the Fairley Brothers movies. I've been in two. My mother's been in one. So it's um, the the cool thing about the Fairleys is they they put all their friends in all their movies. So when you go to a premiere in Rhode Island, every scene somebody in the crowd's going, "There he is! Look! <laughs> hey, there's there's Joey!" So, <laughs> so, so what's your brother's best role? In the um, six, you think? I think his best role he was playing checkers with Lenny Clark uh, in uh, Me, Myself, and Irene. Yeah. And then the girl was breastfeeding the baby. And they all had to go run over to the, you know, to look outside to see this little, um, you know, this girl's, you know, tatas, yeah. you know, breastfeeding the kid. And then Jim Carrey's character changes in, in the uh, supermarket and he comes back and he rides the car into the barbershop, I guess, is what, where yeah. they were playing checkers. And uh, so I, I would think my brother Jax, that that was his best, uh, his best role there in that movie. And you were you were recently hanging out with Larry David, was that right? Yeah. So Larry and I have friends through the Fairleys. Okay. Uh, they all live on Martha's Vineyard in the summer, and uh, I've been over there, played golf with them over there. And Larry, so Larry and I, we've been friends for a long, long time. And uh, so I just called him and said, "Hey, I'm coming out. 
love to get together, maybe play around a golf. Like last Wednesday, I wasn't in the Pro-Am, so maybe we can play on Wednesday. And then the fires hit, and he was not going to be in town. I was flying in on Monday to, to have dinner Monday night. I just was flying, actually flying in, and my phone blew up, and Larry t- uh, emailed me and said that because of the fires, he's home, and uh, we can do dinner. So I just left the, you know, I got my courtesy car and drove up to Santa Monica and had dinner with him and ended up going to his house first, and we watched the end of the Nick game. And then went out and had sushi. And uh, so I had to play with it. So we took a fo- I said, let me take a photo. And we took a photo. And I said, well, you know, he's, I, I saw my life coach, my you know, sports psychologist. You know, all these young kids, got all they, they have their team. Sure. So I figured, uh, you know, who better than to, to be my life coach today at 55 years old than Larry? So I, I, oh, I, walk in the, I walk in the door, and the first thing he says is, you flew with shorts on? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, really? Is that weird? Is it weird? He, he goes, you didn't see the curb I did on that? And I guess there's a curb he enthusiasm. He gets on an airplane, and the guy sitting next to him has got hairy legs, and <laughs> it really spooked him out. So <laughs> I've he, never he, thought of that. I have hairy legs, and I fly in shorts all the time. Yeah, me too. And I, I don't really have hairy legs, but um, I didn't think it was that big a deal, but uh, Larry uh, uh, thought well, it was. So give me a sense, Larry David... On camera versus off camera. I was no, going to say no, it's no difference. No difference. No, no okay. Difference. I was no hoping difference. you'd say that. Is that no, was more? No is he doing a bit with the shorts thing, or is he like dead serious? Like, no, he's dead. No, he's dead serious. Like, what do you? What? Do you, I can't believe that you wore shorts on a plane. I mean, it's just gross. You, know, you can't do that. You know, it's it's just inappropriate for him. But I've stayed with him for the LA Open um, one year, and he just got divorced, so he was staying in the condo on ocean avenue in santa monica where all the famous people go after they get divorced so um <laughs> i walked in one day and he there's was, a lot of quote air quotes being thrown yeah, around yeah, as you're saying yeah. that. and and i walked in one day and he was getting a massage from this woman and it was he was she was hurting him and he was just yelling and screaming <laughs> the whole time and it was just hilarious and then we went i took bill Koss and i went to dinner with him this is a very very funny story so i just emailed him and said, hey, I'm coming in for the LA Open after Pebble Beach. You know, you got any room at the inn? And he says, yeah, you can stay, um, but you have to leave on Thursday because I got other people coming in. So I get there Sunday. He's got a girlfriend that came over and they're watching the Grammys and I went to bed. I was tired. I just flew in from Pebble. Now it's Wednesday and we're going to dinner and I got Bill Haas and and actually the, the table next to us was the Gretzky's with Dustin Johnson and the 16-year-old Paulina. That's when they met that night, and they ended up hooking up and getting together, right? So that was the first time they met. How about that? They were next door at the next table over. But anyway, so we're walking in, and it's the first round. It's Thursday, and i got to check out, and i got to get a hotel room because Larry's got people coming in. And he had his buddy Nick Stevens with him, who's it was, he's an agent uh, and did some stuff with Seinf- the Seinfeld stuff. So as we're walking in, I've asked Larry three times, like, you know, when do I need to leave, you know, check out? Like, I'm playing late. Do I check out in the morning or can I come back after? When are these, when are these other folks coming in? And he said, no, you're good. I said, okay. You know, I asked him again. He said, no, no, you're good. You're good. So I don't know what that means. So we're walking into this restaurant, and I say to Nick, I go, Nick, what's the deal? I've asked him three times. He says he's got people coming in. I, I don't know when I need to leave, and he says I'm good. He goes, he, he said you're good? He goes, that means you made, you made the cut. I mean, what do you mean I made the cut? He goes, see, it's a Jewish thing. No Jew would commit to someone for a whole week 
if they don't really know them that well. <laughs> okay, so you commit for half a week, and then you know if I'm if a pain in the out, yeah. if I'm a pain in the ass, and he can just say, "Well, I got people coming in." He had nobody coming in. <laughs> was, yeah, that's that's brilliant. I so it. It, you know what? It's absolutely brilliant. So if you you know if you're you know we have a summer place in Rhode Island, and you know if, if we don't really know the folks coming in, say, "Hey, well, we can only go like three or four days, and then." Yeah. If which, can we come up for a few days in the summer? Then? Sure, yeah, no problem, <laughs> no problem. But uh, it was really funny. So I made the cut, so I was there the whole week. So I, I didn't, yeah. get, I didn't get kicked out. Do you like going out to LA? I love it. I love LA. Do you, do you feel like you're done with it after a week? Or yeah. Do you want to stay? Like, or no, no, no. It's like, all right, cool. I'm good. I want to turn this off now. No, I'm right. good. I'm good yeah. with it. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's a good for a week. It's good to see all the famous people. I enjoy where I live, and I enjoy Georgia, and I enjoy Rhode Island. And it's always fun to go to L.A. because, you know, you're always playing good golf courses, and um, it's a good vibe, but it's, it's, it's nice to, to go back home. What's your favorite course of the bunch out there? You know, the whole Pebble Beach area is fantastic. You know, Riviera now is just unbelievable. I mean, when we played there back in the day from, you know, 88 was my rookie year, the course was always in terrible shape. Um, I equate it to like a – this beautiful old whore that um, that that has just been run down and and, and, and <laughs> rung wet, you know, like like just she's so tired and she's so it's she's just well well past her peak, well past her prime, and that's what Riviera was just this great golf course, just awesome, but it was always in terrible shape, especially when we got there in February, and it was just it was just so sad because at that time they had a couple thousand members. Every Monday, they would have two pro-ams, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. So the golf course never could rest, right. could, never could get in good shape. Sure. And uh, that's totally changed now. It's, um, they only have like 300 members. I think you could play a U.S. Open there any, any week of the year. It's, 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 like, it's like Pebble Beach. Pebble Beach, when I first uh, on the tour in the late 80s, it was owned by the Japanese, I think, owned it. And, and until Peter Uberoth and Arnold Palmer and, and uh, Clint Eastwood and that group bought it, now they've restored it in Pebble Beach. You can go there any given day, any given week, and it's in unbelievable shape. It's fantastic. And that's, you know, that's what the way Riviera was. It was just never in good shape, and now it is, and it's, um, it's really cool to play. So those courses are great. I love going over to Bel Air and seeing some friends there. Mac Davis, the old singer from, um, what was that movie, uh, North Dallas 40. Mac is a legend up there at, uh, at Bel Air, so when I come in town, I usually get around in with him and uh it's funny uh, like like i feel like everything i think about la a lot of it is through curb your enthusiasm right where the owner of the golf course in curb your enthusiasm uh the japanese guy mm -hmm. and he's got the swan and all that like that's kind of how i think of, i don't know who owns riviera now but that's kind of how i think of riviera <laughs> or like you talking about the guy Larry that getting divorced like i just think of cheryl on the show right who you're talking about right it's it's when you're with the guy you're in a, you're in an episode and um that year that that i stayed with them um they were filming and uh, i played in the pro-am in the morning and in the afternoon i went down it was near the it was near lax and um he ended up putting me in a in one of the episodes uh so i was a doctor and um and and only two people called and said hey i saw you on kirby really one was john houston who has not called me since <laughs> and that was 15 years ago 10 years ago and uh 
Jerry Haas, my old college roommate, golf coach at Wake Forest, he called me too. So that was it. So I had two people that noticed that uh, I was a doctor and uncured me enthusiasm. Maybe it was a privileged medical conversation. Yeah. It felt weird commenting on that. <laughs> For folks that don't watch PJ Tour Champions on a week-to-week basis, talk to us about what, what the difference, the main differences are in like course setup and the courses you guys play. I mean, is it just tees move forward? And, and what's the difference in, uh, in your mind? I think that, um, well, course setup on the PGA Tour changed as I got older, um, and the change was like 6-6-6. Six, six, and six. So like the first few days, they would have six hard pins, six medium pins, and six kind of easy pins. And then towards the end of my career, it seemed like uh, first round, every pin was hard. 18 hard pins every single day, every single week. Uh, so the golf course has changed in that respect. Out here... You're setting up a course for a 50-year-old, and you're setting up a course for you may have a guy who's 70 that's playing in it. So there's a couple holes where if there's forced carry, you can't go all the way back. Where you know you can't have some guys in the field that can't carry water or can't carry a hazard, mm-hmm. so they have to move the tees up on a few holes. So I think the biggest difference is that on the PGA Tour you have two or three or four par fours that are over 500 yards and, and out here we don't have that we, right we, we we're a little little short in that we'll have maybe one ball buster par four on each nine that uh, you know that you have to pay attention to where on the regular tour seems like a lot of par fours or, or ball buster holes what was your view of the champions tour while you're in let's say you're in your prime on the pga tour right what was your view of the champions tour and how does that view differ from actually having experienced it for several years now that's a great question because you know when you're on the pga tour you're in that bubble didn't really watch much of it i watched more of it when i was younger when i was not on the tour and the champions tours first started and remember going out to newport country club had the golf digest pro-am and watching the you know sam sneed played there Uh, arnold palmer was there all these you know the guys that started the champions tour i remember going out and watching them play but once i got on the pga tour i didn't really you know, it's kind of out of mind. You're not really paying attention to it. You see a little bit of it, but not much. And then coming out, I didn't know how it was going to be, uh, how the guys were going to accept me because it's been a long time since i seen a lot of these guys when I turned 50. And it was, um, I was blown away on, on the camaraderie. I was blown away about, you know, everybody embracing me and, you know, giving me a hug saying, you know, this is, a, you're going to have a great time out here. This is a great tour. Um, it's a lot more relaxed. It's fun. I was going to say, are you having a good time? Oh, my stuff? gosh. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's just, you know, I, I did TV when I was 46, 7, and 8. I quit, and at 49, I started practicing to get ready for 50. And my goal was mentally that I'm going to enjoy this. I mean, I, I played the tour for 25 years. Uh, you don't really realize how much of a grind it is and how much pressure there is. I mean, you get pressure to survive, pressure to keep your card, now you build a family. Now you, you have bills to pay. All those things kind of go with it, and you just kind of you're, you're riding this ride. You know, at the end of my career, I wasn't playing very good, and, and that was it was a good break for me. My wife was going back to seminary. Um, she's she's now a Presbyterian minister. My kids were in middle school and high school, so I was home more. And I did this TV thing, um, and I enjoyed working for the Golf Channel. I was out on the you know, I was I was a roving on-course reporter commentator and I enjoyed being out there and watching 
I learned a lot because, you know, as a player, you think every player is making every putt. Mm-hmm. And then you go out and you're following either Woods or Mickelson or, you know, whoever the hottest player is that week, and you realize they don't make everything. And uh, they do chip well. They all chip it pretty close. And, um, you know, they have the, the, the stress level isn't that hard for the great players. You know, they chip it close and, you know, they don't, they don't have to make five-footers every single hold to save shots and stuff. And so I learned a lot in that those three years, but um, my goal was to come out on the Champions Tour and have fun and not care a whole lot and just enjoy the process. If I have a bad day, it's no big deal. And with that mindset, I've played great. I've, I've really uh, uh, embraced this tour and I've, I've enjoyed it. You know, the guys, are, I always said, the guys that were pricks on the regular tour are less prickly on the, on the Champions <laughs> Tour. Um, <laughs> not really, but you know who they are. And... <laughs> And they're, you know, the, the edge is, is not, a, not like the PGA Tour. And, and, and I didn't realize how much pressure the Tour was until yeah. I, I got away from it to see um, how much pressure there is on surviving. And, you know, if, if you miss three, four cuts in a row, how, is, how, how are you dealing with that? And then having to try to get it back and get it back. You always, you always got that pressure in the frontal lobe here of, of grinding to survive. And, yeah. um if you did it as long as I I did it, it, it um, you, un- you understand what, you understand what I'm what I'm talking about. What was the toughest part about getting into TV? I would say that the hardest thing is that on the playing golf, which is the only thing I've known my whole life, and that's my job. You know every day where you stand. You know that when you leave the course, if you shot 75, you're a 75 shooter, and, and I got to get better, and I got to go practice and work on my game to get better. You go and you shoot 65, you leave the golf course, and you're feeling pretty good about yourself, and you can't wait to get up the next day and build on that 65 and try to win a golf tournament. When you do TV, you have a few friends that may call you and say, "Hey, you did a nice job today," but you really don't you don't know where you stand. So. TV breeds insecurity, and I've always been very secure in my life and my in what I do. And you, you like me, great. If you don't, that's fine too. But when you do TV, you you, you really don't have any clue. Um, you know, I didn't get a whole lot of phone calls from the Golf Channel saying you did a really good job. I did have a, a couple calls when I when I was the analyst that I was slumping in the chair too much, <laughs> and I had to sit up sit up more. That was like the only tip I got. So when I first started with the Golf Channel, I was a, I was a hole announcer, and then I did some analyst work on a, on a few tournaments, and then I was an on-course commentator. So I did all the different roles that you can do, and I did it with different producers. So I had some Golf Channel people, then I had Lance Barrow with CBS, and I had Tommy Roy with NBC, and they all do it differently. So you have to try to figure out how you you can maneuver all this and it takes time it takes time to be with a group that uh, that's why NBC is so good because of, of, they've been doing it forever and CBS does it a different way but they're very very good at it too because they do it forever and <laughs> then can, when you we could discuss that if you'd like and then and then when you then when you see Fox and they first start off doing the, the US Open when they when they they got that contract they were terrible they yeah, were awful because they've year. never done it before not not with the crew not with those same people so they've gotten better over the years but uh, that was the hardest part I think is just um, Knowing when to talk, when to not talk, when to, you know, take it to commercial. Those things, you just did it on the fly. There was nobody, you didn't go to class to figure out how to do this. You just did it. And um, if you got, if you were good at it, then uh, then I, I guess at the end of the year, they, they re-signed you. <laughs> Is Tommy Roy in your ear the whole time? 
at times, yes, and at times Lance Barrow is in your ear too. Um, but you you need that. You need you need direction, especially being an on course commentator. You I don't have a, a I'm not looking at a video screen, so you have to kind of in your brain figure out okay how you do it. Now Tommy Roy doesn't do tape shots, where CBS does a tape shot. So I can already see you hit hit your putt and you missed it low, or you left it short, and I could say you know this putt's really slow. Well, I just saw him. Hit, you know, so so on course commentator with CBS and with the Golf Channel, you do tape shots, and they'll come to you and they'll say, "What kind of putts you got here?" And then you've already seen it. <laughs> Where Tommy Roy and NBC doesn't do that; they don't do tape shot. The tape shots are done by the guys up in the up in the that have that hole. So um, in that respect, it was easier for me being out there because then I could just go up to the next to the next hole. I didn't have to wait and kind of recreate this putt and you know. It, and in your oh. ear, in your ear, they'll say like a tape shot. Then you know, they go, "He's over it. He's over it. He's getting ready to put it." And, and now you're talking uh, while he, while he's doing this. So <laughs> and you're not looking at it. that's crazy. That's imaginary. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. That so would, it's crazy. That'd be tough. That's trippy. What was it like, to kind of transitioning into your mid 40s? Like the state of your game. Was it a, a swallowing pride feeling of like going into media? Like, what did you think? Did you think you were done with golf when you made that transition? Were you just counting down to Champions Tour? What's that? time period between 45 and 49 and 364 days like yeah it was um at first it was it was a relief to okay i'm I'm gonna do something different i'm gonna try something different i'm gonna learn a new craft that was kind of cool um it was a relief mentally to know that okay i'm not um you know i'm not gonna have to grind to survive on the pga tour i'm, I'm giving that part up so it was kind of a relief there and then um, just just learning this new three. I, I did it for three years. Uh, my first year I did twelve tournaments. The second year I did nine tournaments, and the third year I did eight tournaments. And uh, Jack Graham that hired me said, "You're the only you're the only person I've ever hired that wants less tournaments than more tournaments." Uh, most guys want to do keep doing it and doing more and, and get into it. And I was. I knew what I was going to do. I just needed a break mm-hmm. from the game. And I think that the, taking that break, I think that's helped me tremendously on the Champions Tour. Because I, I didn't want to come, I didn't want to do that transition from the regular tour to the Champions Tour playing lousy golf. Right. Because then you can't t- turn that switch on and go, okay, I'm going to start playing great again. So um, I think taking that break really mentally really helped me and, and, and when I came out at 50 I was I was fired up and I was ready to go and and and, and I played well right away what changed in your game between the, the time when you were done with the PGA Tour and starting the Champions Tour it couldn't just be easier setups couldn't have changed no no I think all the, that. I, I think it's just you know it's just pressure you know of playing lousy and playing lousy again and then just you know going home and your kids are going Did you miss the cut again said, yeah it's you know how do you it's tough you know it's it's uh it's just a grind, and then to come out uh, at 50 and start playing well, it's um, it's like a new lease on life. So it's 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 slate's clean, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Scar tissue's not there. It's not there. It's not there. And I'm, while I'm, while you're doing uh, TV, did you have did you feel like God? I just want to play right now. Like, did you have that urge, or are you so focused on the analysis and stuff? I feel like it'd be hard being a competitor to then switch over to behind the camera and just wanting to hit the shot, like wanting to be back in the in the action. Yeah, there are times that, that, that I would say sure, but um, and, no, I knew that it was, that I knew my role, that, sure. that I wasn't playing well, uh, and, and this, this would be a good, a good break for me. I, I enjoyed the break. Um, I still played a little bit, 
uh, played a couple tournaments a year uh, just to wet, you know, have that uh, sensation. Yeah. Um, but I didn't play that well. And then when I turned 49, I did get in a few tournaments. And, um, you know, the Sanderson Farms was opposite the British Open and went down there. And um, I was even par through 27 holes and finished, um, I think, 18 under and finished fifth. I remember that. And Woody Austin won. So it was like that that that's when the light went off like okay i i still think i got some game here sure. you know because this is pretty cool to do that and i had my my son came and caddy for me he was in high school so that was really cool too going back to let's like into your pga tour career what was what was your i guess coming out into the into the tour kind of experience like when you go out there first ish time around there who were the guys you looked up to who were the guys that became some of your early friends and what was your early experience like on the tour so, you know, I played a few tournaments as an amateur on the PGA Tour. Uh, the, the Western Open invited me because the year before, uh, Scott Burplank won as an amateur. So, in, in, in 87, I played there. I played the Masters as an amateur. So, I, I played the Bank of Boston, which um, at Pleasant Valley as an amateur. So, I, I felt like I, I was good enough to, you know, I wasn't in, in total awe, but when I first came out, my first year, um, uh, I struggled. I finished 100 and I think 34th on the money list. I, I uh, didn't keep my card by I think $9,000. Had to go back to Q school. And then the summer of 89, um, I played with Fred Couples and Paul Azinger in the last group at Westchester. And I beat them both and finished fifth. And that's when my career took off. And then that, that's, so it took a year and a half of playing the tour where you know, am I good enough? I think I am good enough, but I haven't, the results haven't, haven't, haven't really showed yet. And then once I finished fifth at Westchester, my career took off. And, and who helped me? Uh, Fax was, was a huge help out of the gate. You know, he made sure I had great practice rounds. Um, you know, if it was Tom Kite. My rookie year, I went up to Tom Watson and, and introduced myself at uh, the first tournament and said, hey, I'm new guy out here. I love to play a practice round with you. He said, next week, Phoenix, eight, um, ball in the air at 830 uh, so I played a lot of practice rounds with Watson and Andy North, and doing that took the awe away, the edge off of yeah. Like so, so then then you're starting to play practice rounds with all these great players. Um, the one th- the one thing that just blew me away was was how short everybody was. Like I thought Ben Crenshaw was like six two, you know, <laughs> and, and watching him on TV, and then you meet him, and he's like shorter than me. Uh, so everybody was a little shorter than. Uh, uh, all the all the all the studs that that I watched as a kid growing up, but uh, when I first came out, it was it was making sure that I p- played great practice rounds with great players. So facts really helped me there. Jay Haas is, was a was a, was a huge help for me, being a Wake Forest guy and uh, taking care of me, just making sure I was. I remember him t- saying to me that um, you know we're playing for at this time. This was 1988. You know we're playing for a lot of money out here, and you know if it's first class versus coach on a long flight, you know, and it's $300 more, you know, you're, you're in the major leagues, yeah. you, know, you know, treat yourself like you're a major leaguer, not, not a minor leaguer. And, uh, you know, if a hotel that's close to the course is more expensive than a hotel that's 40, 40 minutes away, stay at the hotel close to the course and, Interesting. and, and treat yourself as a, you know, you're, you're in the big leagues. And, uh, and that really helped. So there was, and Peter Jacobson was another guy that just, uh, I remember playing the Western Open and coming in, and I shot 77 or whatever, and, and Peter walked by and said, um, how'd you play? Hey, hey, Billy, what's up? I went, hey, hey, Peter. 
what's wrong? You, you, you look down. I said, well, I just shot 77. He goes, it's over. The round's over, man. There's nothing you can do about it now. Just get ready for tomorrow. And like those little things from guys that I respected and looked up, looked up to are things that I, I to, to this day, I, I still remember that were, you know, big keys for me and, and, and my success early on. On that money front we were just, you were just discussing there, did it, I mean, seeing what happened in golf basically in the late, late 90s and into the early 2000s, how much the money exploded, going back to the, the earliest 90s when the, the, the peak and prime of your career, did it feel like a ton of money even at that time, even with what's to come down the pipe? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no I'm, in, in, in 91, I, I won two weeks in a row, and I won 180. They were million-dollar tournaments. And, and I just remember Tom Kite saying, you're, you know, you're so lucky that, that you came up when you came up <laughs> because now we're playing for million-dollar tournaments. You know, you get 180000 for the win. Uh, when he came up, if you won a tournament, it was thirty grand or forty grand to win. So it's um, he, he just said you, you you know you're just you're just one lucky son of a gun. And then I would I would say the same I said the same thing to Justin Leonard. He came out right at the right time. He came out in ninety six ninety seven right when the right when the purses mm-hmm. just doubled. And um, so I told him he was a lucky son of a gun because well, he, he that, came out at that right time. Yeah. What's that kind of like? What, we could, without, while that's happening, what are you guys saying to each other? Like, can you believe all this money? Can, like, is it, was everybody kind of freaking out during that time period of inflation? I don't remember that. I just, you know, because you're in it. But uh, yeah. I do remember, you know, thinking that you know, I just won $360,000 in two weeks uh, on the tour. I mean, how cool is this? And, um, you know, it. it, it I never played for the money. It it's not a money thing for me. I played because I loved the competition. I loved doing what I was doing, and it just so happened that it, it just started going higher and higher and higher. And it's uh, it's amazing what uh, what these guys are playing for today. And I think it's fantastic. What, yeah. uh, when you won your your second event in a row there, like you'd never won before, were you were you running on fumes at the beginning of that second week and? and kind of came in with low expectations like hey everything is gravy now after i won kemper well i want i win kemper then i go to um i go to uh, woodmont golf club on the day after and um qualified for the u.s open and then um i go to westchester and i bump into jay haas before the first or i think i shot 68 in the first round he goes how'd you play and i went i I shot three under. I don't know how the heck I did it. I'm exhausted. I haven't slept or whatever. He goes, well, you know, the best t- the best time to win your second tournament is right after your first one. And he won when I was in college. He won back-to-back weeks um, on the tour in this the early 80s. So I, I remembered that because I was in school and I was roommates with his, with his brother. So um, I was like, yeah, you know what? Best time to win your second one. Bender, man, that's that's yeah. awesome. And then so it was it was it was some it was some crazy number. It was twenty one under at the Kemper broke the record. Slew and I shot that, beat him in a playoff. Uh, shot ten under at uh, Woodmont to be the low medalist for that. And then I go to I go the next day. It was an outing I had to do at, at Quaker Ridge. I shot sixty five, <laughs> and then I go to Westchester and I shoot eleven under, and then I go to the U.S. Open. Uh, first round, I think I was five under after ten, leading the tournament, and then we had Hazeltine. Hazeltine storms yeah. came in. People um, got hit by lightning and stuff, and um, it was crazy, crazy day. And I, I, that's when I hit the wall. I hit the, the wall. Party was over then. I, well, I was going to say, yeah. if you type in Billy Andrade on YouTube, the first result that comes up is. 
Billy Andrade disaster U.S. Open. Yeah, and it's the and it's at Hazel Teeth, eleventh hole Hazel Teeth. Right. Yeah, I hit I hit my third shot. I think over the green in, in between these roots of this tree, <laughs> and I just I couldn't get it out of there. I just started whiffing it. I think, but uh, yeah, I had a, a, a pretty big um, meltdown there. But I, I didn't care. You need to yeah. fix your, the Google searches is what I, what I was getting at. There. Oh, I okay. Have thing. A question, going back to what you said earlier about playing practice rounds with, like, Watson and some of these older guys, what's um, – is it just the off factor going away or are they, they playing a practice round a specific way that really helped you as a young guy? Like, yeah. what, what do those look like? I'm I don't, just, I don't I'm, have any idea. I'm a sponge. You yeah. Know? So I'm a sponge and I'm just trying to learn. And, and if you're playing with the greats of the game – it doesn't matter what sport you're playing or what you're doing. If you're hanging out with, with the greats and you're hanging out with the, the savants, the, sure. the best of the best, I, I just think as a sponge, you're just going to get better by osmosis. It's just going to happen, and that's what happened to me. I just I learned, uh, observed, and that's what I would tell any kid today. You know, Kids that come out of college today and they play practice rounds with their buddies that they went to college with, um, you're not going to get better. You, you'll be okay, but I think you need to play with the great players. So uh, what happened with, with Watson is I played you know four or five practice rounds with him, and then I got paired with him in the final round of the Honda Classic. Yeah. And, uh, and that was my rookie year. This was two months later, and there was no all playing with him. You know, I didn't – I already – I know him. Um, didn't have uh, – well, there wasn't nerve. there was nerves, but not nerves because I – Not because of him. Not because yeah. of him. He's not going to change my attitude. Um and I think that that's, um, that's it. You just, you know, when you're around greatness and you ask questions and you watch and you observe and you see how they do their business uh, and then you pick what, what you want to take out of that and uh, little things that Watson did that made me think, okay, I need to do this more, I need to chip more maybe over here, work on this part of my game. Are you Whatever. guys playing a match? You, you you like to some of the guys seemed like they like to gamble when they play. Yeah, no, games. there was no there was no gambling going on yeah. with, with uh, in those days. It was just uh, just me just learning sure. how to how to do how to go about how they you know hey this this is one of the greatest players of all time. I'm just I'm just a sponge watching him. He's know. doing something right. And I should, sure. When did sure. you know you were really really good at golf? I mean, you were AJGA like Rolex Player of the Year. You were All American College. Like you've kind of checked all the boxes at every step along the way when did it kind of dawn on you like whoa I'm probably 16 I played the insurance youth classic which was a very very big national junior tournament and it was at Yale University at a place where I played uh, a few tournaments and won so I, I liked the course loved the place and Tracy Phillips was the number one junior golfer in the world at that time and he uh, had a two-shot lead going the last round and I was paired with him in the last group I beat him, shot 68 and won. And I went from a nobody that, from Rhode Island to Golf Digest did a ranking at the end of the year. They had their annual Golf Digest, and you would get, you know, you would look in there and you would, they would have the top amateurs, top 10, top 10 junior boys, top 10 junior girls. And um, I went to fifth from winning that one tournament. And then the next year, I, bet, I, uh, I won the Insurance Youth Classic again. Uh, I won by, I think, nine or ten shots. Is that at Yale again? No, it was in Augusta Country Club in Augusta, Georgia. And then uh, two weeks later, I, I won the PGA Junior. So I became the number one junior golfer in the country by Golf Digest. So I think that was the start of I'm pretty good. I think I can get a college scholarship. And uh, <laughs> Were they know, beating down your door, yeah, colleges? I, I was the ultimate free agent because uh, <laughs> everybody knew I was I was leaving Rhode Island. So. Uh, it was very overwhelming, 
You didn't want to go to Brown? Well, Yale. How about Yale? He, uh, Dave Patterson was the coach at Yale University at the time. He pulled me aside and said, you're, you're too good for, for New England. You got to go south, well, you know, if you want to be, if, sure. this, if this is your dream. You know, so Wake Forest uh, was one of, the, one, of the, one of the schools that came calling, and Arnold Palmer and the Arnold Palmer Scholarship was huge. And uh, Jerry Haas was there at Wake at the time. He was a year older than me, and he said, you can be my roommate. Everything kind of fit right in. It was a small school. I was I was from a small state. I went to a small prep school, so it just uh, went down for a visit, and it was like, yeah, I, I can definitely go to this place. And the other schools I was looking at were all bigger schools. You know, Texas, Oklahoma State, all these other big schools that were great golf programs, but they were huge. And I think that if I did go to a bigger school, I don't I don't know if I'd be here today. I probably would have floundered and, and got distracted. Where at Wake Forest. Uh, Classroom size was small. You know, everybody knows everybody. You can't hide. Um, and I think that that was a good, great fit for me. Did you have a relationship at all with Mr. Palmer? Or oh, how did you... great relationship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was... Um, that happened immediately in college just because of the Wake Forest connection? Or when did that start? Well, he came to Wake Forest. Uh, the Schwab Cup at that time was called the Vantage Championship. And it was at Tanglewood outside of Winston-Salem. And he came by the, uh, the new Arnold Palmer dorm that just opened up to check it out and then meet the team and then meet his new guy, which was me. And he pulled me aside and, um, you know, just wanted to shook my hand and just say that, uh, you know, this is a great opportunity for you and all that, you know, so it started there. And then, you know, my rookie year on the tour, you know, I immediately got an exemption at Bay Hill and I got, I played 20, <laughs> 25 Bay Hills in a row and a couple times there, especially late in my career when I needed another exemption, I always got one. And then he came up to Rhode Island, played in our CVS health charity classic a few times with me. We used to have a standard game uh, at Bay Hill on Tuesday and go play the back nine, just the two of us. Wow. We did that for years. And uh, so we had, I, I had a, a great relationship with him, and like a lot of players have, yeah. have had or had. Uh, so it was, uh, it was tremendous, yeah. I don't know how that guy had time for all the things that he did, but can you, I saw this on the uh, scratch video you did a couple of years ago. Can you tell the story of uh, – of the f- accidental phone calls that may have been directed towards Mr. Palmer. Yeah, no, it was, um, it got really comical there for a while. You know, I'm not tech savvy. And, uh, back in those days, the phones, well, you know, everyone had a Blackberry. Blackberry was the big phone. And, uh, even today, if you, if I go to my, my contacts, um, AP is the first one in my contact list. So for some reason I kept butt dialing like the first person in the contact list, which was him. And it, you know, I could, I could hear him, you know, Billy, Billy, God damn it. You did it again. You did it again. You did it again. One time I was hanging up a jacket and uh, I, I had a, I did a thing up in Boston and um, I was hanging a jacket up in the closet at the hotel and uh, I heard his voice in the closet. God damn it, Billy. You did it. You did it again. Yeah. So I did it for about a year and didn't know how to control it so it it, it 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 took a life of its own i'll say that <laughs> yeah and he uh he i think he enjoyed it after a while because he brought it up to in a, in a few uh in a few publications <laughs> who were your i guess that may have been the answer to the question right there but guys that you really looked up to or guys that you know that you were most starstruck by when you came out on the pga tour jack nicholas um his his son was at Carolina when I was at Wake, so I, I was, I've been around the Nicholases and 
I stayed at their house uh, during winter break in the middle of my college career. So um, coming out, Payne Stewart was, I was his whipping boy. He just constantly just gave me crap all the time. About you know, what? Like, like he treated me like we were on a, you know, we were on a, um, you know, we were on the same team and I was the rookie and, you know, he was the veteran and, you know, like I had a, he, he just constantly just busting my chops, you know, you got to get better. You know, I was looking at the money list one time, he was behind me and, you know, he was number one on the money list <laughs> and I was, you know, 130th on the money list. He's like, look, Hey rookie, call me rookie all the time. <laughs> Ten years. He just—it—it it, it was four four years of hell with pain. Um, but I think the one that made me the most nervous was um, was Ray Floyd. He just um, had that swagger and had that walk and had those eyes, and you know you just didn't know where you stood with with Ray. So he was a little uh, um, he, very intimidating, I would say. Everything yeah. I've ever heard, like Ray Floyd, sounds like the biggest just. Sounds like a menace. Alpha yeah. menace. Yeah, right yeah. He and he used it. I mean, I mean, he he still, I think, has got the record for winning. He won both on the regular tour and the Champions Tour in the same year, at age fifty or fifty-one. Which he won Doral, and then he won. I guess then he turned. Uh, then he played in something U.S. Senior Open and won that or something like that. So no, no other player has ever done that, which is pretty, pretty amazing and. Uh, We've gotten to be good friends now. Like in his old, older, older years, we I always see him at the Masters. I do stuff with AT and T, and he's a big AT and T guy, and I interview him and stuff like that. And now, and uh, uh, we, we have fun with it. But um, when he was a player, he was he was all business, and he was old school, and um, you had to respect him. If he came in the fitness van, you know, you you got your ass off the fitness table, and you know he gets on the table, and you know. He, Did you ever see anybody cross him? Uh, one time there was a little alter, not, not an altercation. It was just, a you know, he and, uh, George Burns went at it in the fitness van. And I was like, like in the corner, just sitting there going, <laughs> Oh the my gosh. Oh geez. <laughs> what it was it about? I have no idea, but it was like, they were going at it pretty good. That was my rookie year. Yeah. That was crazy. I'm curious what on the, on the champions tour circuit, it can be kind of, Maybe it's not. Maybe for you guys it's easy to see. Kind of difficult for people to prognosticate who's going to succeed out here and who doesn't. And for some guys, your game just goes into your 50s or maybe it's late 40s and it doesn't come back. Is there anything you can kind of shine a light on for, you know, what goes when it goes for a lot of people? Is there a common trend you see? And are you able to see guys that are coming out and be like, oh, I think he thinks he's going to be successful here, but he doesn't know how hard it's going to be? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you, you have to work at it. Um, I think you have to be in pretty good shape. I think the guys that have kept themselves in good shape th- that come out on the Champions Tour are going to continue to play well. It's the ones that have broken down that have had a lot of injuries or gained a lot of weight or um, you know, just don't have the – physically they can't, they can't do it week in and week out. Th- those guys might have problems. The other, the other issue is too is um, you, know, you, you might have been a, a Hall of Famer on the – you might be in the Hall of Fame, and then you come out here, and you know Paul Goidos is beating you, Billy Andrade's beating you, Michael Allen's beating you, um, guys that you beat that you've crushed your whole career. And how do you handle that? How do you handle that mentally? And I think um, you're saying this with a smile on your face. Like, well, like I, you've like enjoyed you this. Also, like he's got a couple of guys in mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, it just you know, and hey, it, rookie. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
But no, it, it's true. I just think that some guys have a, you know, it's a different game again. Now you have to prove yourself again, and even though you're a, a Hall of Famer or maybe going to become a Hall of Famer of what of your body of work you did on the regular tour when you come out on the champions tour you get you gotta you gotta have some edge you have to you have to have you have to continue to perform and if you don't how do you handle that i mean how do you handle nobody wants to finish 30th or 40th and and you know why you know i mean when i came out nick price was was on his way down and and for nick who had a who had a nice career on the on the on the champions tour he hurt himself. I think he had some shoulder injury, maybe an elbow problem or whatever, and um, he hit the wall. And and I, you know, he was just telling me I, I can't do this anymore. And he he basically retired. Uh, though he's what fi- late fifties, maybe fifty nine, sixty, uh, and still plays very well. Good golfer, unbelievable career. You know, just couldn't do it physically. So you have that physical thing, and then you have some guys that just. How do you deal with the fact that you know a guy that you beat left and right, and now all of a sudden you know he, he's he's winning and you're not? I mean, how do you deal with that? So there's a little bit of that too. Yeah. Do you think uh, in the coming years most guys are going to come out and play a Champions Tour? Well, we hope so. You know, I don't know. We're going to see next year. Um, you know, Phil Mickelson turns 50. Uh, U.S. Senior Open, Newport Country Club, Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, being a Rhode Islander, I'd love to see Phil, you know, in his first week, uh, turning 50, play in that tournament. Uh, that would be awesome. So if Phil's listening, you know, uh, Phil, why don't you come up to Rhode Island? We'll, we'll take good care of you and play in, uh, you know, the Senior Open. But, you know, we've had our star, and, and he's been unbelievable for a decade, over a decade, is, is Bernhard Langer, and he's been, he's been kind of our, uh, our go-to but we need the new go-to. Who's going to be the new person that's going to take over? Um, you know, Freddie, when he comes out, it's a different game. Uh, it's, a, it, it's a different feel. It's like when Tiger first came out and when Tiger plays in a tournament and Tiger doesn't play in a tournament. They're two different kind of tournaments. Uh, the excitement, the energy level. Uh, and for us to have that, um, to, to, to see, you know, Davis is starting to play a little bit. I don't know. I just read where he's now going to do TV. I don't, I don't know how much golf he's going to play, but... Having having our stars out here is huge. You know, Freddie's not playing this week uh, in the Charles Schwab Cup. It, that hurts us. You know, Steve Stricker's not here. That hurts us. So we need those guys to to play. And um, only time will tell to see how many of these big guys um, want to play and come out here and want to continue to compete. I think because Phil is a junkyard dog and he loves the competition and he loves to perform. I can see Phil playing. Uh, a, a pretty good diet on the on the Champions Tour after he finishes up playing on the regular tour. For him, it might be 55 uh, before he decides to maybe play full time out here. But so it comes uh, down to the competition and not not necessarily you know, hey, I'm comfortable. I made 40 million dollars in my career. Like it's it's just the competition. Yeah, of, it's it's. Here, I mean, yeah. of course, it's, it has nothing to do with money. It's but that's all. where it's like you can't be half in, half out on the. T- you can't. It's really hard. I would imagine to do like, I'm going to play like 10 events this year on the Champions Tour because, like you said, guys are grinding. It's not. You're not. This is not a vacation. You're not coasting. Well, you have to play great golf. Right. I mean, you think about uh, the scores these guys that we're all shooting out here is is pretty amazing. So uh, you you can't just come out here and think that if you turn on that turn the light on you, you know you're going to go out and shoot you know 25 under and win um it just doesn't happen that way but you i mean you get uh you get these guys that 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 just play some great golf so it's uh 
it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I, I hope um, I hope all the guys that uh, turn 50. I know Ernie Els is, is excited about coming out and playing. Jim Furis very excited about coming out and playing. He told me he's still going to play on the regular tour this coming year because he's close to the top 50 and he wants to play the Masters one more time. But um, he's um, you know th- these guys are talking about wanting to play the Champions Tour. So if those guys come out, then you know then we're we're in good shape to to, to have um, you know somebody like that be the next Bernhard that will carry our tour for the next ten years. Do you ever see the age limit dropping for the Champions Tour? It's been talked about, but it um, I, I just don't see it. I just yeah. I just think that fifty uh, is a good number. Uh, I, I do know that 45 to 50 is the no man's land for a lot of guys, and they have to wait to, to, to do it. But when you see all of us that have waited, now all of a sudden we're right. gonna, we put it down to 45. Is that going to make our tour better? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe yes and maybe no. I can't answer that. All right. Well, we're getting the motion that we got to let you go. We really appreciate the uh, appreciate the hour. I'd love to do this again sometime. Best of luck this well, week. Awesome. Do you have any questions for us? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm huge fans of you guys. You have no idea. You, you're, you're up there with Larry David. Well, do you know what? <laughs> That's flattering. <laughs> There's one thing, uh, there is one thing I need to sw- uh, fill in here. You probably don't get this a lot, but when I was maybe nine or ten years old, you were my favorite player on earth because walking off the sixth green at Muirfield Village, you handed me a glove when I was a kid. And my mom took that glove back to Muirfield Village and had you told, told you the story and had you sign it. And she sent me that picture today, no way. which is the glove that we've kept. Awesome. Uh, so awesome. all yeah. the little small interactions over the years yeah, all so, culminating so, to so, this. So my, my shtick was um, golf balls and gloves I would give to kids you know, all the time when I was started. I would, would get a, an extra dozen balls from Titleist so I could do that. So um, I did a commercial with... Um, Wesley Bryan did, did. He's a Skechers kid, so we, we did this commercial with Kuchar and oh, I know it. Yeah, Russell. Oh, we've seen it. Well, yeah. we've seen it a hundred million times. <laughs> right, it feels like. right. So um, we did this whole day a shoot, and you know when it was over, he says, "Hey, I just want to tell you, you you know you flipped me a ball at the Masters, you know, when I was nine years old." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh my God, it's crazy." I'm so old. Well, that's what I said <laughs> when you walked in. You did a clinic for. Toronto and I in high school. Yeah. yeah. We went to Marist. Yeah, so. sure. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Over at Cherokee. Yep. You did that. Yeah. I think uh, Chip Beck's kid was on that yeah, team. He was. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right, boys. Thanks, Thanks. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Okay. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. 